another week of read me romance lady listeners hey i just realized i'm wearing overalls and i hope these don't like clickety clack on the audio it's Lola, cute. if you're listening i'm sorry <laughs> i should have like put some tape around them or something you're all dressed up you have gloves on and earrings i don't got a bra on listen listen it is it's 54 degrees outside we turned our heat on today <laughs> so cold. i turned our heat on today too and it's the fire so alarm went off and I have PTSD. I was going to say, do you have, like, flashbacks like, to when you tried to burn your house down last year? God, yes. My insurance company will fucking murder me. If I can't uh, have a, like, I literally, it, it only went off for a second. But I was still, like, and I forgot I turned on the heat. I was making Jesus. everybody search the house from top to bottom of why there's the possibility yeah. of why it came on. Because I was like, maybe there's still a fire somewhere. Oh, no. Because it literally it's came on for, walls. like, it came on for, like, two seconds and then shut off. Oh, God. Oh. Why I was on the toilet. Of course. Of course it did. Of course that's when it happened. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. We've got Gianna Darling with a brand new book. It's called Out of Sight. We are super excited to have her here with us this week. We have lots of good stuff to talk about with her giveaway and her new releases and everything else. So we'll go over that in just a little bit, but we're going to catch up with y'all first. So Adele had a new song that came out this week. I haven't Did you listen yet. to it? Do you like Adele? How yeah, do you feel about I probably her? have like five or six of her songs. I remember when we wrote yeah. the book, His Alone, uh-huh. I played one of her songs on like repeat sometimes when I would write it. Oh, I love that. Which one was it? Do you I remember? I think it was to set the world on fire or something or set it on fire. Because if you think about His Alone, how he like tricked her and made mm-hmm. her believe other things and then it came back around or something. It's been so long since I've listened to it. I'd have to go back. But there was something about the words that always made me think of the book, His Alone. I love that. Oh, that's so cute. I didn't even know that. What a nice story. Hold on. I'm going to unbuckle these because I can already hear that I'm getting naked if you're watching the video. But But the reason I have it, I mean to look it up, but I see people say, um, Adele's already making us cry. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. So it's, I looked it up because I was like, you know, Adele does not do anything without purpose. No. And you know what? If you don't like Adele, who hurt you? My first question. And secondly, it's okay if you don't. And it's okay if you keep that to yourself. I don't know why it's stuck with me, but ever since one time, I don't even on Instagram and all that stuff, but I remember her doing a post where she's like, where she's like pointing at the camera or something. She's like, I mm-hmm. forgot who I fucking was or something like that. And I don't know mm-hmm. why it always stuck with me. It was like, don't forget who you fucking are. I love that. I love her. I love her so much. And, you know, she made a post recently because she lost a ton of weight. And she said, you know, I understand why people might be upset with this because it feels like maybe I represented something for them. And they lost that. And, you know, they maybe feel left behind. Mm -hmm. She said, but just understand that this is my body and it's my decision how it looks. And, you know, she said she was really disappointed that so many people were discussing, especially women were discussing it, 
when she said, I don't feel like that should be a topic of conversation. But I almost understand, like, I understand, like, it's her, it's her body, it's her choice. But I get that she did represent that for so many yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, I get, it's a tricky thing. Like, I have gained, like, 10 or 15 pounds lately. And I've been toying with taking it off, but it's been more of a struggle. But I look in the mirror, and I'm not upset with myself, like, what I see. But mm-hmm. then at the same time, sometimes you can feel that on you, even if you look and it doesn't bother you. Mm-hmm. When you try to go and, like, run around and do stuff, you're like, it's it's exhausting me, the weight. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes that's just the issue with people. It's not that it bothers them how it looks. It just is uncomfortable. And, you know, obviously her life changed when she got her divorce. You know, the, there was an upheaval in that. And, and, and if she is doing this because it's it's cathartic for her, then then so be it. You know that, I mean? I hope that she's doing this for the right reasons. That's and, a great and that's it, example. And that she's happy. Because yeah. I remember when I lost all my weight is when I stopped drinking and I got sober. And yeah. being sober and staying in a healthy mindset, I had connected mm-hmm. that with eating healthy and being healthy. And whenever yeah. I would stop exercising or doing that, I would start to think, oh, no, I'm going to fall back. So sometimes people mm-hmm. actually get those things interlocked within each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you think yeah. I have to keep that up or I could fall back into this dark place. These things like it's help part of your healthy. recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I remember Eminem saying that when he quit drinking. You know, he said he he ran through, yep. you know, his recovery. That that's the one thing that saved him during his recovery was running. I would uh, – that's 100% I would agree with that. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, she had her new song out. And I looked up the words because I saw that she made um, – she did an interview with Vogue. And she was talking about what this song meant to her because I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is really pretty. Like, it's very similar to her other music. If I've heard anything bad, it's people are like, it sounds like something she's released before. So fucking what? She's incredible. She can release 15 <laughs> songs that sound like before. She's still – and the fact that people who have no fucking talent comment on this shit pisses me off. But yeah. anyways, so she said in it that this song – and I didn't catch it the first time I heard it. This song is for her son because she said when she went through her divorce that she felt horrible because she felt like she tore his family apart. And she said, I will spend the rest of my life blaming myself for what I did to him. She was like, because I looked out for me in this and I had to put him through looking out for me. And it was such a like sad thing to hear but it was also so relatable, you know, that she tried to save herself. And in that, maybe she hurt people and her son in, mm-hmm. because of her relationship with her ex. So there was a part in it. Then this is the part that got me because she says, go easy on me, baby. I was still a child. I didn't get the chance to feel the world around me. I had no time to choose what I chose to do. So go easy on me. And so it's like she's saying to her son, I was a child when I decided to get married and decided to have this family, but I didn't have the time to choose. So I chose this. Yeah. You know, it was like she didn't have that experience. And I just thought like that was so it was just so really beautiful, like how she sort of addresses it to him. Yeah. And, and what it really means if you listen to it. It was just it was such an incredible song. And, I, and listen, the more I listen to it, the more I'm like. God, she's amazing. She so. is amazing. Yeah. So, anywho's, 
I was, um, I had therapy today and it was like the first time in a month that I've had it. And so, um, my therapist, her name's Ashley. And so, um, I get on there and I'm like, Ashley, listen, I've got a list. <laughs> let's go through it. <laughs> and she was like, okay, all right, let's do this. A lot of what I talked to her about today, and I, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on this as well, is that a little backstory. Um, my brother is an architect and we were together one weekend and we were talking and hanging out. We were at the beach or something. And he was talking about how he considers himself um, a sort of an artist mm-hmm. because he said, I create something that I feel very passionate about. But he said, at the same time, I have to rely on others' feedback, whether I feel appreciated, whether I feel good enough. Yeah. And so, and so him and I made that correlation when we were at the beach together. And I said, I get what you're saying, because I sort of feel like that as a writer, I create this art, but it's sort of like my success or my validation is dependent on what people think of it, Yeah. you know? And I don't, I think I really, really considered that before. And she was like, oh, I find that interesting that, you know, both of you had the same epiphany and, you know, your whole lives you've done this and this. And she was like pulling up all this old stuff. I was like, slow down. Okay. <laughs> this isn't a time for you to come in here and tell me, I'm just having a moment. <laughs> it's a very A type personality trait. What do you mean? To like do to, this or? To, um, you're always validating your success. You mm-hmm. have to be validated by success for your achievements yeah. and you're very achievement needy. You can't just mm-hmm. be content within yourself, which is something I wish I could love. I would could do, but the no A shit. part of me needs a validation of you're doing great. That's people like that. It's good. It's mm-hmm. keep going. It's mm-hmm. just something inside of you that drives you and it's a need. And so I wondered like, if you could give advice to someone that is maybe a, an author or an aspiring author, how would you measure success then? I don't know. If it's not validation by other people praising your work, what is success to you? I always try to remind myself and I get lost in some of the moments of like every day. But at the end of the day, like when I step back and I try to remind myself, which I've been trying to do lately, that I, the purpose of me working is to create a life. And what actually is the end of my validation is providing for my family. That's Mm -hmm. what really drives me. And as long as I'm still doing that, and when you go out and you're having these moments and these vacations and experiencing Mm -hmm. all this and everybody has what they need. Mm-hmm. And you're laughing and having a great time. That's the moment. It wasn't really this book sold that well. Yeah, this did yeah. that well. I mean, in the moment you think it's that, but really yeah. when you come back and you're at that moment with the family or you're on that vacation and you kind of look around, that's it. But you keep, cause we don't have those all the time. You kind of forget that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we discussed this a little bit last night when we were talking about like, what does success look like to us now? Because before, you know, when we were on Amazon, it was really based on like ranking, you know, like, okay, well, I can measure success based on how well this book sells. But yeah, you're right. Like, when you readjust that expectation, you know, at 
Twitter has been the devil for me lately because I've just stayed on it. Like, it's so addicting. But I saw a couple of authors on there talking, and I want to say it was Cece Monroe, maybe. It's who I saw on TikTok earlier. And she said, I'm a USA Today bestseller. People ask me advice all the time about, like, writing and stuff. And she showed this thing behind her, and she was like, I made a $1.48 today. And she said, I don't, you know, it was like, it was very honest. Mm -hmm. And I just love that she shared that part of her because she's saying like, I can't measure my success based on how much money I make because that's not, she was like, if I looked at that every day, I'd stop writing. Yeah. You know, so I think that like, it was, I saw that today. So it was so, it was interesting that I'm like seeing all these things that are popping up where it's like. How do you truly measure your success? What is it really that drives you to do this? Is it the love of it? Is it what it brings to you? You know, if if it's money, that, no shame. Like if you're doing this because you want to make money, I ain't mad at it. But if you're doing this because you love it, then you have to ignore the money. You have to ignore the shit talk. You have to ignore everything else around it. And I don't think that this just applies to writing. You know, I think that a lot of people could implement this into their daily job, especially if it's one that requires feedback. Yeah. So, and then I saw um, Willow Winters, who I just adore. She had a TikTok today too, where she said that um, her financial advisor was talking to her And she said that, um, she said, I had been offered this big publishing deal by Random House. She said it was an amazing opportunity. I had always wanted it. It was the first time I'd ever been approached by a publisher. And she's like, I just hit USA Today. And they wanted to give her this book deal. And she said, but it wasn't much money. And they wanted me to not release on three months on either end before and after, which we did that. But she said, you know, and she said, I realized the royalties were really low. And she said, when I asked them how many books they thought I would sell, she said the number that they projected was lower than anything I had ever sold before. And she was like, so they were, you know, essentially underselling me from the jump. And she said, I was, you know, on the phone crying with my financial advisor because I wanted this so bad. I had dreamed of this my whole life on getting this publishing deal, but I could not take it. And she said he gave me a great bit of advice and said, Willow, it's because it's business. And I think within that, she's saying like, they didn't, they weren't looking at me as a valuable person. Mm -hmm. They were looking at me as a commodity. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, she said it made it easier for me to make a better decision for myself. And she was like, and it was the right decision to not go with that. So You know, and I understand people's reasoning for doing it. And obviously, you know, we went through a traditional publisher too. So there's pros and cons. But, you know, I really appreciated her candor on that as well. Again, like her, her validation and, you know, her, her drive wasn't necessarily based on money. It was on how she was valued. Yeah. And so I really, I really liked that. I thought that was another great perspective today. So if you could give... And advice, if, well, I just mean like in the, I'm not trying to scare you, but like in the, you know, as, as an author to someone who, you know, as a, all right, not an author, as a reader, what sort of advice do you think if you were a reader and you thought about becoming an author, what do you think would be some good advice to give them? I always say the same thing. I think I've said it for years. You just keep writing and write what you love. 
I remember yeah. once upon a time, I thought that anybody could write Alexa Riley. I was like, hey, why isn't everybody doing this? Mm-hmm. And then I think we've talked about it before. And then I realized that one day when I was reading a book that had everything I loved in it, it was like mimicking mm-hmm. how we write even. And I was like, why? Why don't I like this? And I was like, I know what it is. The author doesn't like this. Yeah. yeah. They don't like it. And I can feel it. <clears throat> I can mm-hmm. feel it. So you have to like what you're writing Mm -hmm. and you just have to keep writing because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, look at Ruby Dixon. A TikTok went off and she went freaking global. I know. I mean, we talked about Jessa Dean. Nobody Mm -hmm. selling like two or three books. We pick it up and somebody starts talking and then everybody starts talking. Yep. You just keep Mm -hmm. writing and write what you love. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we were talking last night about it and I said, you know, I I know one thing is for sure in my entire career, you know, seven and a half years of us publishing books, the the one thing that I stand by is that I fucking love the writing when it's good. Yeah. When it feels good and the story comes and I'm at the I'm at my desk and I'm typing. I fucking love that. It's like a shot of like, I imagine a shot of heroin would be like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's fucking awesome. But it's all the other bullshit that goes around writing that bogs you down. And I think that's what separates a person who wants to be an author and a person who loves to write. Yeah. You know, like who a person who wants to be successful and a person who feel successful because they're doing what they love you know and that was again that was something that my therapist told me today when I told her that I I told her about our conversation and when I said that to her and when I was started to move on to something else she said no no I want you to stop and sit in that for a minute because she said I have dozens of clients that come to me that are miserable in their jobs and she said she's I haven't found anybody that loves what they do and she was like, so the fact that you love what you do and you're excited to do it, she said, you should really be thankful for that and just sit in the moment and be grateful that you have found something that you love. Yeah. Because so many people either do it because the money's good and they have to support their family, they have to pay their bills, they have to do what they got to do. You know, she said, or they're stuck in this and they feel like they have nothing else they can do. Yeah. You know, and she says so many people struggle with that. So if you're listening to this and you feel that you're struggling, it's okay to find something that you love. And it's okay that if you love it, to to be grateful that you love it. So I just thought that was really cool today. Those were my, my big epiphanies this afternoon. So what are you reading? That's my other topic of discussion. I have reading nothing. I have like 10 <laughs> books because I had got food poisoning. and then Oh, shit. That's right. My husband. What did you eat? What was it that you I got think food it was poison? crab cakes. I can't believe crab would do you like that, though. No. It was terrible. I don't think I've ever had food poisoning before. Oh. It was. Did you eat? Did you make them at home or did you order them? I ordered them. Oh, that's even worse. So I was just, I felt it coming on. It was a week ago today. I was like sitting there watching TV. I was watching like the show I've been waiting for. And I started feeling getting sick. And then my anxiety started going. Uh huh. And the second I think that I need to throw up, my body just goes. She does not wait. (laughs) She does not. Like, I'm not the kind of person that's like, I don't want to, I don't want to throw up. Oh, am I going to throw up? My body's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you need to throw up. 
we're gonna go throw we up. We got you. Yeah. We got you. <laughs> doing it she's right ready now. To go. No, I can't like <laughs> eat a bunch of food and be like, well, let's throw some of this up. No, I have to have like an inkling. But if she uh-huh. gets that feeling that something's wrong, she's throwing up. And it was just mm-hmm. coming out both ends. And then I was just terrible. And then the husband <laughs> had his wisdom teeth pulled out, which was adorable. <laughs> Mom is adorable. Because I go to, they make me wait outside and I come in to get him. And I come in to get him. He's like sitting in this giant massage chair, right? Waking up mm-hmm. from anesthesia. He's like waking up. He wakes up. He's like all goofy smiling at me. And he's like, no, you have to sit in this chair. And he's like all drugged up. And he keeps trying to get out of his chair and give it to me. I, I had to go stand behind him so he would stop <laughs> trying to get out of the chair to give it to me. That's he was so just cute. a little goofball. Oh, I love that. That's kind of cute, though. Well, I finished up Slade's book in the New Species series. I started Valiant. I finished it. I finished uh, Valiant last night. I love him. And I started Justice. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go until I don't want to read him anymore. Mm-hmm. I actually got um, Nikki Sloan's new book, um, The Redemption. I've seen which that was like, out. Yeah, this, it's the other brother. It's his story. But I've heard it's like, I've had a couple friends that read it because they got ARCs. And they said it's not as fucked up as the other ones. But they're, you get a lot of questions answered. It's a really great romance, but it's not super fucked up like the others. And I'm like, you know what? That's probably good because I don't want it. I don't know if I could go through that again. Yeah. That was some fucked up shit. God, it was so hot. If you haven't read um, the Filthy Rich Americans series, was that it? Was yeah. That it? The, yeah. That series um, by Nikki Sloan, you definitely should. All the trigger warnings. All of them. It's so fucking dirty, but it's great. Yeah, so I finished the Valiant book in New Species, and I just forgot, like, you know what, though? I forgot how much I loved him, but I realized this is why we write the books we write, because I read these books before I ever became an author, and these were my favorite books. Yeah. Because he's fucking nuts. He's insane. He's insane. He can't be more than two feet away from her. And he's rubbing up on her. He's like, I just must sit on you. What's where are you going? Yeah, why don't you smell <laughs> Like she disappears and he just lays on the bed and breathes in her sheets. He's like, I know, he just breathes, he just smells her scent. He's, he's like, like, I, I just want to eat, eat your vagina and feed you. I need That's you to it. pump you up so that when I fuck you, you don't break. Yeah, you're so little. You need to gain weight. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then well, I was listening to the audio and I was telling Mel that um, they pronounce her name, Lorraine Donor, on the audio books. And I was like, have we been saying her name wrong for like 11 years? And I'm like, maybe so. Maybe so. But <laughs> I've always thought it was Lauren Donner, but it says Lorraine Donor <laughs> at the end of the new species book. She's going to so, have to change that or something. Yeah, I'm like, that's not correct. You're going to need to change it the way we've been <laughs> we're, saying it. We're going to reach out to her like, do you know they're saying your name wrong in your audio books? <laughs> She's going to be like, please stop emailing me, Leah. Okay, it's enough. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. So, so yeah. So, I finished Valiant. I'm reading Justice. I've got it. I'm going to, I'm probably going to go like maybe two or three more before I jump back out. So, I actually realized I have a book. I put it back to the front of mine because I was doing the promo stuff for uh, Gina Darling. And I yeah. have one of her books that somebody was like, you have to read this. You have to read it. And it's actually like the reverse. The student is the male. 
And the teacher is the female. And I was like, fuck, I forgot about this book. And I put it together. I put it back to the top of my thing. And I seem to have had an audio book, too. Oh, fuck. What's it called? Do you remember? I pulled it up again. Well, it's good. I'm going to go ahead and read her author bio while you do that. So we've got Gianna Darling this week. Out of Sight is the book that she brought us. It is part of... um, Yes, it's the first book in the series you're about to say. The Fallen Men. Yeah. Yes, it's is, Lessons the in Corruption. about the read? Oh, yeah. it's called what? It's Lessons in Corruption, a student-teacher okay. romance. Awesome. Okay, so this book that we have right now, Out of Sight, is the prequel to the series, The Fallen Men, and it's all they're all standalones. So she said you can read them at any point. You don't have to read them in order, so just go for it. I'll read you her book or her author bio right now. Gianna Darling is a USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and Top 40 Amazon bestseller, Canadian romance writer who specializes in the taboo, the angsty side of love and romance. She currently lives in beautiful British Columbia, where she spends time riding on the back of her man's bike, baking pies, and reading snuggled up with her cat, Persephone. And Golden Retriever Romeo. Oh my God, that's so fucking cute. Check out the rest of the Fallen Men series, starting with Lessons in Corruption, Live Now, and Free in Kindle Unlimited. So the book, like I said, out of sight right now, this is the blurb for the book you're about to hear. Well, I'll read that in a second. Her, let me tell you first, though, her new release is called Dangerous Temptation. That's out October 20th. That's out today. Mm-hmm. So that's her brand new release. It's um, Dangerous Temptation with Dangerous Press. It's an age gap, guardian ward, enemies to lover romance. I love all of that. I know, those are great. Like, word for word, that was, I want this book. That's what I heard when I said age gap, guardian ward, enemies to lovers. Uh, It's the the short story right now on the podcast is a prequel to, like I said, to the MC series, Standalone, The Fallen Men. And her giveaway this week is a signed copy of her brand new release, Dangerous Temptation, which I'm going to win. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> the out of sight book uh, blurb right now is out of sight, out of mind. I'd been running for so long, I didn't have anyone to leave behind. I liked it that way. No strings, no responsibilities, no one to even remember my name when I was gone. The world was my oyster and I was sucking it down until the dark night behind a bar when a stranger saves my life and pays a price that should have been mine to give. A Fallen Men series short story. XOXO. Gee. That was so cute. I love it. So we're going to play the first installment for Out of Sight. Like I said, don't forget to enter this week's giveaway. And check out um, all of our Instagram and everything else in our Read Me Romance headquarters for all the details on this. And everything will be in the show notes. So let's play the first installment and we'll see you on the other side. Out of Sight by Gianna Darling. Narrated by Jack Callahan. Chapter One I currently found myself trapped in the back of a minivan, the seats removed to make room for the three other women folded up and tied with rope alongside me. They stared at me with sad, dark eyes, their makeup smeared nightmarishly around their mouths, spit and semen dried on their chins. Clearly, these girls had already been put to use. For the first time in my life, running wasn't an option. I waited, listening to the two guys in the front shoot the shit. 
finally. Just before it turned dark, we pulled off the side of the highway into a busy parking lot in front of a place called Eugene's. It was the kind of place I would have loved to frequent normally, paneled in turquoise with just a small pink neon sign to distinguish the name. Ain't this place where some of those fallen bikers hang? One of the idiots in the front seat muttered to the other. Scared of a little leather, Greg? Don't be a pussy. The man said to meet here. We're meeting him here. The man called Greg looked around uneasily, drumming his fingers on the steering wheel in a way that made me think he was high. Just don't think the boss'll be happy we turned a scouting trip into something a little more profitable. You hear me? Don't be a pussy. Ventura's a stone-cold bitch. If she understands anything, it's money. Sides, we contact a buyer, she'll be fucking thrilled we took initiative. Yeah, okay. So, how do you want to do this? I kept an avid ear tuned into the conversation, even as I slipped the small buck-light folding knife from out of my left boot. The idiots hadn't even checked me for weapons. The other girls watched me squirm slightly to angle the knife between the layers of duct tape at my ankles, then switched the blade up and back to free my hands. I raised a finger to my lips, but their frightened expressions didn't change. The front doors opened, closed, and then the automatic sliding side door powered open to reveal the two men, who immediately began to unbind us and make the clearly used girls more presentable with baby wipes. They didn't notice I'd already cut the tape because I'd carefully rewrapped it, but I hated that my first attempt at escape was thwarted. I was prepared enough to give them a run for their money as soon as I got the chance. It came ten minutes later, after they'd corralled us into the building and ushered us to a dimly lit booth in the corner, farthest from the bar and adjoining stage, where a half-decent country rock band was playing. The one named Greg stayed with us while his buddy went to the opposite end of the bar to speak with his contact. I wasn't sure what kind of deal they were making, but Greg jumped a little each time the contact gestured to our table. The girls beside me were docile, clearly beaten into submission a long time ago. I wanted to help them almost more than I wanted to help myself. They didn't stand a chance of getting out of this situation without me, but I was no superhero, and I'd spent the last twenty years of my life happily centered in myself and my own priorities. I felt the weight of uncharacteristic responsibility weigh on my shoulders as I surveyed the room for some kind of escape or source of help. We noticed each other at the same time. It started with a feeling at the base of my spine, like the tightening before an orgasm, or the spasm before a hard shiver rips up your back. I knew instinctively where the source came from, to the left of the booth, some distance across the room, as if the person was giving off some kind of radar location. I wanted to look up and find him, and I knew it was a him, because I could feel his gaze in my pussy and his intent pressing on my brain like a brand. He wanted me. And without even knowing who he was, what he looked like, 
Or if he was a serial killer, I wanted him too. I looked up, and everything fell away. The sting of pain around my wrists from where they'd torn the duct tape away, the fear emanating from the girls beside me thick as gas fumes, and the worry that in a few hours I'd wear semen on my skin just like them. And there was only him. Not beautiful. No, there was no way a man like him, so rugged he seemed carved crudely from rough stone by the hands of some primal human, could ever be called something so poetic. He was a statement of masculinity, a bold declaration of strength. It was stamped in his broad, palmed hands and the scowl pressed between his heavy brow. It was chiseled out of his hollowed cheeks and thickly bearded, square-cut jaw. It was imprinted in his eyes, hot and dark as freshly brewed coffee scorching down my skin as his gaze spilled over me. I could feel myself blister and boil under the heat, the way my flesh peeled away to reveal the ugly, charred marrow of who I was, the bones I was built on. And then I was ash, mute and wasted by his scrutiny. I couldn't even put a name to the man, but I knew by the way he'd raised me that only he could build me back up, maybe even build me better. Before I could consciously decide against it, I was standing. Sit the fuck down, Greg snapped, leaning over to shove me down. The man, a biker if his leather jacket and tattooed arms were anything to go by, stood up as I sat down. His scowled brow pulled tighter. There was a threat in his eyes that was a promise, not an insinuation. He wanted to rip off the hand that touched me like that. So did I. I turned my attention to Greg, forcing my features into some semblance of a pretty smile. I have to pee, I told him. Greg glared at me, then looked at his partner as he stalked back over to our table. He was clearly the one who called the shots. Dude's down to take the girls off our hands. He's got a man sells them to whorehouses on East Hastings Street down in Vancouver, he said as he stopped at the table. Just stepped outside to talk numbers with his guy. Sick, Greg nodded, then gestured to me. Bitch needs to pee. He sighed and waved a hand. Take her. We don't want the smell of piss ruining a good sale. What am I going to do, Harry? Follow her into the john? Greg demanded. The guy will be back any minute. I should stay for negotiations. Like you'd even know what to say to the guy. Harry barked back. Take the girl and be lucky I even set this shit up and let you in on it. Greg cursed under his breath, but stood up, grabbed me by the arm, and yanked me out of the booth. I could feel my mystery man's eyes on me as I was dragged down the hall into the bathrooms, but I didn't turn around. I hoped he would follow, find some way to get me out of this clearly desperate situation, but I'd never based my actions on anyone else before, and it wasn't the time to start. So, 
I was relieved when Greg ushered me into the separate handicap washroom and locked the door behind us. Do your business and be fucking quick. I don't want to miss out on the meeting, Greg mumbled, folding his arms over his chest as he faced the door, giving me a modicum of privacy that was slightly ironic, given what he was trying to sell me into. Still, I took advantage of it. There wasn't much in the way of makeshift weapons, and I didn't know if I could get close enough to use one of my short, slim knives on him. If I fumbled this opportunity, I wasn't sure if I was going to get another. It had to be now. I turned to flush the toilet and saw it. The heavy porcelain toilet tank cover. Hurry the fuck up, Greg rumbled, shifting side to side on his feet. My heart throbbed in my throat as I gingerly lifted the weighty cover in my hands. I balanced it against my thigh as I flushed the toilet to cover the sound of my movements, and then I tiptoed behind Greg's big body. About fucking time, he said as he began to turn towards me. I grunted as I hefted the cover into the air with both hands like I was yielding a baseball bat and threw it with all my weight against Greg's turning head. The sound of crunching bone and then his warbled, shocked scream echoed off the tiled walls of the bathroom. I watched him fall to his side on the dirty bathroom floor and brought the toilet lid down again on the same side of his bleeding, crushed face before he could even process what had happened to him. He was out. One guy down, one to go. I took a deep breath to overcome the fizz of adrenaline popping through my veins like soda pop and pushed out of the bathroom, making a beeline down the hall straight to the bartender. There's a man on the floor of the handicap washroom. He and another guy, probably sitting at a booth in the far corner over my shoulder, are trying to sell me and three other women into prostitution, I said, surprised by the lack of tremble in my voice. I need you to call the cops. The bartender stared at me for what felt like an eternal moment, then nodded curtly and turned to call down the bar to another employee. Rita. Call the cops. Try to get Dan or Junior down here instead of Senior. Ignore her. It was a voice I'd only heard a dozen times in the last two hours, yet it was already as familiar to me as my own because it represented my doom. She's been trying to get me in trouble since I told her I was done with her games and dumped her ass. Harry's arm slid around my hip, as he stepped up to the bar with a winning smile, as if we were a feuding couple and not a cowboy with his condemned cattle. The bartender's eyes snapped between us, and then, from somewhere beneath the bar, the hand previously holding his dish rag slapped onto the counter, now holding the thick barrel of a shotgun. Thinking you'd be a dumbass to drop such a fine woman he growled in a voice like a bear's roar. I ducked out from under Harry's arm and shoved him in the side just as Greg appeared behind him, face a bloody, caved-in mess, yet somehow still twisted with comprehensible anger. He reached for me, but the bartender hopped with one hand over the width of the bar and planted his gun in his chest. 
Greg froze. Harry didn't. He lunged at me, his fist poised to land a hammer strike to my cheek. Then he was there, the mysterious biker man from across the room. He stepped in front of me and caught Harry's descending fist in his own broad palm before twisting it savagely. Harry's knees buckled as he let out a sharp yelp of pain. Stay down, motherfucker, he growled, leaning down into his face as he twisted that arm until there was an audible pop even above the music. I caught a glimpse of the female bartender, Rita, on the phone to the cops and relaxed slightly as the fight hit a stalemate before it even broke out. A second later, the sharp, circular edge of ragged glass pressed against my jugular. Think I'll take this pretty one off your hands for you, boys, a reedy voice said against my hair as he pulled me closer toward the door. Y'all stay there real still while I get out of here. There was stillness across the entire bar for one crystal clear moment. Even the band suspended mid-note in Bob Seeger's rendition of Socket to Santa. Then, the mysterious biker man moved, and he did it by launching himself at my attacker. I fell into a stool as the two men tumbled to the floor, and the whole room burst into chaos. I ducked out of the way as my mystery biker surged to his feet, Harry's neck in one of his wide hands. He slammed him into the bar and started to pound a fist into his face. Harry groaned, but he hadn't given up. I knew this because I watched as his hand dipped behind the bar he was sprawled over to reach for a beer bottle. He shattered it against the bar top and lunged. I did too, soaring over the stool to jump on his back as he pushed my mystery man off and slashed that bottle across his heathen, handsome face. I landed just as the bottle did. The roar that ripped through the cacophony of the bar sent a shiver down my spine. It was a sound of pure and utter agony. I wrapped myself around Harry's back, pressed the knife dangling from a chain on my neck to his throat, and ordered him to stand down just in time to watch the huge, beautiful man who tried to save me sway, blood gushing from between his fingers as he held them over his eyes, then crashed to the ground. A second later, the doors burst open to reveal red and blue lights and a dozen police officers calling for everyone to freeze but I was already frozen, my eyes on a stranger who had stepped in to save me and paid too steep a price for his heroism, a price I should have been willing to pay myself. Chapter Two Matt I tried to open my eyes. When that didn't work, I thought maybe I was blind. And in that small minute, thinking that, I realized everything I was going to miss looking at. The way the road thinned into the horizon and disappeared into the sky as I drove through the bare, long stretches of highway across the prairies. The color of the leaves as they turn in the fall and the sight of the stars cast like stolen diamonds across the velvet black sky. These were my thoughts, 
only ever poetic in my head, turned to ash on my tongue before they could be voiced. I'd always had a problem translating myself for others. I didn't need lack of sight to worsen the burden. But then, something happened. The dull pain in one eye deepened, dug roots deep into the soft tissue of my brain, and burst forth like some gnarled tree. The other one opened. My head swam as I tried to orientate myself, as the room fluxed between flat and three-dimensional. Experimentally, I held out one of my gauze-wrapped hands and tried to touch it with the other. I missed by inches. Fuck. I tried to take stock of the rest of my body, noted the soreness in my knuckles, the awful weight of my head, and then a deep, numb pressure on my legs. Dear fucking God, please tell me I wasn't half-blind and paraplegic. I held my breath as I carefully tipped my painful head off the pillow to look down at my feet. A girl lay there, curled up like a dark kitten at the base of the small hospital bed, her face obscured by inky strands of her short, silky hair. The girl from Eugene's. I felt her phantom hands in my chest, looking at her on my bed the same way I had when I'd first spotted her across the crowded dive bar, as if her little fingers were clutched around the pump and muscle, manipulating its beat. It was romantic, probably, but it was also disconcerting as fuck. Because how could you feel a stranger stake claim to you before you even knew her name, her scent, or the sound of her mouth forming words? All it took was the sight of her. And she wasn't a bombshell, not a blonde stacked queen of a woman or some exotic girl swept in from hotter foreign lands. She was just a girl, young, slight and exquisitely, delicately made like some fine china doll, complete with the porcelain skin, red bowed mouth, and huge dark eyes that swallowed me up even from a distance. I didn't have a type, but if I did, I wouldn't have said it was her. But even looking at her curled up at my feet, her sweet face soft in sleep, her hand curled into the blanket over my left thigh. I knew she was it. Not my type. More than that. My girl. I hadn't had a girl, a friend, or a family in five years. Not since I'd stolen my dad's ancient Harley and rode out of small-town Newfoundland never to look back. Fuck. Even before that, my family hardly counted as one. Until that moment, I hadn't thought I'd cared much about the loneliness. I was a nomad in the purest sense of the word. Everything I owned fit in my saddlebags on the back of my bike, and when I left a place, there were few who'd remember my name for long. I liked it like that.
But I wanted this waifish little thing to know my name, to learn it, memorize it, and tattoo it on her soul for her to keep for all of eternity. Yeah, I tried to save her from the fuckwads trying to abduct her, but she tried to save me too. The sight of her jumping onto my attacker's back a split second after he lashed out with that broken beer bottle to slash across my face was the last sight I would ever see through both eyes. It was a good one. When I knew I'd cherished the way some poor children cherished a second-hand toy on Christmas morning, it was strange and a little sad, but I thought that made it even more poignant. I had to be more than twice this woman's weight, and she'd tried to save me. Yo! I looked to the door too quickly and hissed as pain exploded through my skull. When I opened my eyes again after bracing for the pain, I saw two huge bikers in the doorway. One was seriously giant, taller than my six-foot-two height by considerable inches, his shoulders so wide they nearly didn't fit through the doorway. There was something more than just his hugeness that drew my eye and made me straighten in the bed as much as I could, something powerful that spoke of ferocity and leadership. I could tell by the way the other guy, tattooed from neck to fingertips in blue-inked art, stood behind and to the right of him, that the aura of leadership was founded in reality. Help you with something? I asked, one hand automatically going down to the back of the girl's head. I didn't know who these fuckers were, and it was obvious the girl was tied up with some bad people. I wasn't in the best place to defend her, but fuck me if I wouldn't try. Easy, man, the big guy said with a wide, creased smile as he strolled into the room and moved an ugly orange plastic chair to the side of my bed. Just want to talk to you about what went down at Eugene's. I watched the other guy move to stand behind him and narrowed my eyes as I noticed the way he moved, lethal and smooth, like a wild cat stalking his prey. It wouldn't be a good idea to underestimate that fucker just because he was leaner, slightly shorter than the other. You cops, I asked, sarcasm in my voice and the raise of my brow. They both laughed. Nah, man, and lucky for you, too. Cops round here don't do much. He leaned forward in the chair with his forearms braced on his thighs. We do. I hated that he was seated on my left side, so I had to tip my head painfully to keep him in my sights. And even then, my vision was still wonky, lopsided like it had a limp. Club? I asked, tilting my chin at their cuts, black leather jackets like mine, only theirs had distinguishing patches on them. The guy sitting beside me wore one that said, Prez. He grinned. The fallen MC, at your fucking service. I'm Zeus Garrow, 
My brother here is Bat Stevens. Matt Broderick, I muttered. Not sure how much help I'm gonna be. I jumped in when those fuckers tried to attack the girl. Don't know the why of it all, or even the who. Yeah, well, the police only got the two guys trafficking the girls. The other guy, the one they were meeting with, got away. He shared a grim look with his brother Bat that was easy enough to read. Cops let them get away, I confirmed. Zeus Garrow's mouth flattened. Looking that way? Look, this is our town. We don't want women feeling unsafe here. And fuck, I got a daughter I want to know is good to walk home from school alone. You get me? So, any information you got, we want it. She was with three other girls. Not sure what happened to them, and those two fuckers trying to sell them. The guy that attacked me? Don't remember much, but the fact he was lean with blonde hair like a kid, not a man. Hear anything? Nah. Only reason I even noticed the situation at all was the girl caught my eye, I said with a shrug. Shit went down in bars like that all the time, and I was no white fucking knight. I was just a man without a mission, wind at his back, and nothing but road in front of him. There'd never been a good enough reason to get involved in shit before I'd seen those huge brown eyes in that heart-shaped face. His gaze fell to the sight of my fingers stroking through the girl's hair, and I froze the instant he brought my attention to it. Listen, these kind of people aren't the type to leave loose ends, you hear me? You need a safe place to crash while they catch this motherfucker. I got a free room for you and your girl. I blinked at him. I felt those words warm in my gut like a heat lamp over my weak-ass faltering heart. Something good that would help it grow and thrive. What do you care? I retorted, focusing on that instead of the fact that this nameless girl was not mine. At least, not yet. The biker prez stared at me for a long, hard minute with eyes the color of a steel blade. They cut through my shields, Reduced them to ribbons so he could see right through to the heart of me. Recognize a lost man when I see him, he said quietly. Got a group of men falling through the cracks of their lives, lost and fucking alone, till they found a kind of home with the club. You want to stick round? Put in some time? Don't see how a man like you who'd step in front of an innocent woman to protect her wouldn't do well as one of us. An outlaw? I asked harshly. A brother, he replied instantly. One with freedom, but also a home, a purpose, and fucking family. Leave you to it, he told me as he stood, dropping a card to the plastic tray beside me. Numbers there, you remember something, or want a call. Welcome back. Hey, 
Well, we've told you everything. There's nothing left. Be back here on Thursday. And don't forget, we probably, we have a book out, <laughs> The Fall Bride. Yes. Make sure you check out, we can talk about that on Thursday too, what we're currently writing, but look for our new release. We have The Fall Bride and The Fall Groom, and then we also have The Winter Bride and Winter Groom. This is a four book, same town series, but they're all standalones. So right. there you go. Tell them what to do. Out. Fuck your day up. Make sure you're a bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance.